Good morning, and thank you for tuning in to our radio broadcast, Driven to the Cross, as part of Christ's Covenant Church here in McAllen, Texas. We are so blessed to have you with us today. It is our hope and our prayer that you find these messages to be educational, edifying, and encouraging. We want to invite you to come down and visit us at the church. We're located at 1320 West Nolana Avenue here in McAllen, and you can send us an email. We respond. You can call us. Come check us out. We'd love to meet you and have you as part of our uh, church body. So let us go ahead and open with prayer this morning. Our precious Lord, you are the God eternal. You are, you are our Father in heaven. We come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Redeemer of mankind. And Father, as King David would do, he would pour out his heart to you, that all would be confessed, that all would be right before you. For Lord, you already know, but you've commanded us in your word to confess these things to you. Father, we confess to you that our nation has sinned, our nation has stumbled, our nation has turned its back on you. And we ask that you would heal our land, that you would forgive us of our trespasses and stir up the hearts of the righteous, Lord, that we would be that strong bulwark. Father, our land, our nation is in great turmoil right now, not just with this COVID sickness, but with all the riots and the protesting and tearing down of heritage and history and all these different things, Lord. We ask that you would bring sanity back, that you would bring reason back, that you would be glorified once again. Father, our heart is that you would be exalted above all else in the lives of people. Father, we ask that you would help us to realize that you are still in control and you are righteous and you are holy. And we praise you for your righteousness and for your holiness, O oh God. Please stir our hearts and our minds. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hands and feet to serve. Move in us that we would be that living, breathing testimony declaring you. And we ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing our trek, if you will, through the session of Christ. And we are just about to the point where we're going to start talking about him being seated at the right hand, what that means. We're going to be talking about uh, things of his finished work, We're going to be, uh, him being enthroned as a king, and how he lives to intercede, and all these things. But first, I want to touch on something. So in the messages to come, I want you to have some anticipation about what's going to be, what you're going to be getting into, and hopefully it'll unfold before your eyes so you can start to see what God is doing and the purpose. If this was not such an important doctrine, so important and vital, crucial for the Christian to believe and to understand, people like the Apostle Paul would not have had it 
so heavily upon his mind. In a large portion of his writings in the New Testament, we see this as a, in the forefront. He desired greatly to instill upon his readers, upon those who heard him, that God reigns, that Christ is king, that he is to be exalted, and that he has authority. And so he cannot get this off of his mind, off the fact that Christ is seated at the right hand. He, he writes it in Romans and in Colossians and again in Ephesians. And in so doing, he's reminding the believers that Jesus is actually seated at the right hand of God. And then again, in the book of Hebrews, and I want to tell you that I think that the book of Hebrews is a true... Is, we don't have an exact author of it, but I attribute it because of the style of writing, as many other uh, theologians and historians would do, that we would suspect that the Apostle Paul wrote or had great influence upon it. So I attribute the book of Hebrews to having been written by the Apostle Paul. And we see that Paul is actually kind of obsessed with this fact. And we can find that in chapter 1, verse 3, and chapter 12, verse 2, but it doesn't stop there. John the Revelator in the book of Revelations even addresses this subject. Peter, the apostle Peter, addressed it in the book of Acts. And so, my friends, we have to understand and accept and realize that the doctrine of Christ being seated, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, is paramount for us to accept, acknowledge, and act on. It changes your whole theology. One of the issues that we have in a lot of churches today, and in the lives of the average Christian, is that we act as if, we either, one, don't know the doctrine, or two, it doesn't matter. But my friends, I really want you to understand that as we go through this, the doctrine of Christ being resurrected, and we love to celebrate the resurrection, but we seem to stop there. The ascension, the going up into heaven, coming into heaven, the establishing of a kingdom, and then him being seated, giving him that authority, that dominion, that power, is something that is so important and vital for us to act upon, rather than rarely address it. The average Christian can't even discuss with you the session of Christ. And I say that because I've asked several people over the last couple of months uh, about this. Can you talk to me about the session? Can you explain the session to me? What does it mean? And I get blank stares. I've had some people tell me they've never heard messages preached on the session of Christ. And that's one of the things that through prayer has led me to this series. And it's going to be a lengthy one. But it is so important for the church to have an understanding of this doctrine. And so let, let us, if you will, turn to the book of Romans. And we want to start in chapter 8. And we're going to address some of what the Apostle Paul 
was saying. And I want to start back in, oh, let's see. Let's start in verse, let, let's go through the whole chapter. Let's just make it easy for everybody. Give us some background. So in chapter 8 of Romans, starting in verse 1, we realize that in this chapter we have an explanation of being free from condemnation and what harm comes from the flesh, the things of a proud spirit, uh, you know, things along this line. Uh, what And what being of God's children means and the Christian hope. So let, let's, let's start here. Starting in verse eight, uh, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And if I were to stop there, I would tell you that the majority of Christians love the first part of that verse. They love that, where it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And they want to stop there. Because as a believer in the modern age, we don't want to have to listen to, I have to control the passions of my flesh. I have to be different from the world. I have to be sanctified. Well, you see, this is all talking about our responsibility as a believer. And here, Paul very plainly states, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And he goes on and says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That is your redemption. That is your salvation. Yes, there is no condemnation. We are free from sin, free from the law of that, free from the condemnation of, of death through sin. Remember, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. But now, he's telling us we have to be different there. Christ is a liberator, but in being that liberator, we have responsibility to him. He has responsibility for us to keep his promise, but we have responsibility to obey him because we've been set free. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Did you catch that part? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Understand this, that the law was made to show us God's standard. It was made that we would attempt to live that righteous and holy life. The righteousness part comes in because Christ is indwelling within us. It is not our own righteousness, but he who lives within us. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, if I were to stop there, you'd say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me ask you this. Can you take anything with you when you die? If you are appeasing the lusts of the flesh, the, the cars, the money, the trucks, the women, the men, the clothes, 
all these different things, the sports, whatever it is, if that is what you are seeking after to gratify, find appeasement, the entertainment, everything, then you are living after the flesh. But if you're following after the things of God, the things of the Spirit of God, you're going to be heavenly minded. You're going to be doing the kingdom work here in your witness in all that you do. And Paul further explains this uh, in verse 6 where he says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to the spiritually minded is life and peace. Let that sink in for just a moment. Where are you? Where are you at? Are you struggling with all kinds of anxiety? Are you struggling with not having peace? Are you in turmoil about the things going on around you, about whatever it is that you may have taking place in your life? Are you nervous, apprehensive, controlled by fear? So my question for you is, are you going to live life and have peace through Christ? Or are you going to be controlled by the carnal thoughts? Because the carnal mind, and here's the reason why, my friends, and this is important for us as we start to understand how paramount this is to Paul. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the reason why, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. I don't think I even need to explain that for you. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Meaning, if you do not have the regeneration of Christ in your life, if you do not have salvation in your life, you do not belong to him. Just because your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your sister, your brother, your friends, just because they are Christians doesn't mean that you are. It's not transferable. Your salvation is yours. You cannot get somebody else's salvation. They cannot lend it to you. You cannot join a church and be saved. You cannot get into heaven by good works. It is by grace are ye saved. Now, but if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Let that sink in. This is part of your responsibility. Let, let this ruminate. Let, ruminate on this. Let this permeate down into you. Let you think about it. Let it be heavy upon you that you would consider this. You were not saved to live like the devil. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. You are not to stay in your transgressions. You're not to continue being a womanizer. You're not to continue doing all these various things that everyone else is out there doing. You are to be different. Why? Your life is not your own. You are bought with a price, the shed blood of Jesus. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now before I go on, I want to try and explain this a little bit to you. That word Abba in the Greek, you notice how it's followed up by Father there, is an intimate term. It's like, imagine, if you will, that you are a small child. And you're sitting on your dad's knee. And you lean your head against his chest. And you close your eyes. And you just listen. You hear him breathe. You feel the rise and fall of his chest. And then as you start to relax, you hear his heartbeat. That comforting sound. That still intimate closeness, that gentleness, that is Abba. Like a small child calling out, Daddy, Daddy, wanting that embrace, wanting to be lifted up, held close, hugged, and having that assurance. That is Abba. Now listen to this. In case you're wondering, there is a witness. And that witness is about your own salvation. So you can, if you think that you can fool man by just doing these good works and playing, well, I got news for you. Listen to this verse. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So even though you may have been raised in church, you may have come down and prayed, you may have done an altar call, you may have said, Jesus, save me, and then you live like the, the devil in secret, thinking no one's going to notice. Maybe you don't pray, maybe you don't read, maybe all you do is come because it looks good, but nobody knows because, man, you have this right moral attitude, but your heart isn't changed. The Bible here says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So you can fool man, but you cannot fool God. So either your conversion is legitimate and you are serving God, or, or you're lying to yourself. But listen to the promise that comes through this true conversion. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Did you catch that part that everybody hates? Everybody gets uncomfortable unless, unless they are a Christian. And so this flies right in the face of many of those prosperity preachers that a lot of you guys out there love to listen to because they tickle your ears and make you feel good. Did you catch that? Did you did you catch that? No, yeah, I'm I'm talking about a lot of these mega churches and a lot of these prosperity churches. But listen, listen to this. He says, "If children, this is the promise that we are the children of God. So if we are children, then we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. But then here's the here's the catch." If so be that we suffer with him. 
that we may also be glorified together. Oh, my friends, guess what? I have news for you, and it's great news. That news is that you get to suffer for Christ. You don't have your best life now. Your best life comes in the resurrection. My friends, just because you are a Christian does not mean that you're on easy street. And if that is your idea and you wonder why hard times come, it's because God is seeking to reform you to be more in His image. He wants to remove that scum out of your life. We call that dross. He wants to remove that. The suffering, the persecution, the challenges in life. They want, God wants those things removed that you be made more in His image. Do you get it? Do you understand why God allows things to happen? He wants to see where you turn. He wants to see how you react. He wants to know. He wants to know that He is your God. There's witness in heaven. He's not going to leave you alone to live in your sin and to follow after the lust of the flesh. The children of Israel did that and it caused them to wander in the desert for 40 years. And the purpose is that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's your hope, my friends. There is your hope that the things that we go through here on earth, when you see God face to face and you enter into your rest, those trials, those tribulations, those crowns that you receive, lay them at His feet. None of it compares to being in the glory and presence of Almighty God. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of Him who has subjected the same in hope because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. My friends, that's your regeneration. That is your salvation. That is being set apart. You go, you gain liberty by subjecting yourself to Christ rather than being bondage to the sin of death and the world. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? But if we hope, for that which we see not, then do we, with patience, wait for it. An expectation, my friends. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray. Emphasis on that word pray. Pay attention to that. For as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. My friends, that is addressing Christ's intercession. Part of the job of Christ 
in session, in his session, is to intercede on our behalf. My friends, he's not sitting up there wringing his hands. No, he's interceding on your behalf because you have been bought with his blood. You have been purchased with a price that cannot be exceeded. You cannot be re-ransomed. No one can pluck you forth from his hand. The Bible tells us that not even he can remove us. That's your hope and your security. Are you starting to get excited? Are you starting to see these things? And we know that all things work together, and this is a famous verse, a very famous verse that many people take out of context. I'm going to go back to verse 27 before I read this. He said, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so in addition to that, in addition to Christ making that intercession for us, he now says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And here we have the election being brought out. Now look, look, take verse 28 and go back over here to where it says in verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so what does that mean, my friends? If we are called according to His purpose and, and all things work together for those who love God, well, you must be known by the Spirit of God to have that manifested in your life. Now, just because it works together for good, well, for whose good? For good to them that love God. And if you go back in the previous verse, for the saints, according to the will of God. It's not our own will, not our own desires. Many times those are carnal. But for the desire, the express purposes of God. So get the idea out of your head that he's a slot machine, that he is a Vegas casino, that he is anything other than a sovereign, loving God. When bad things happen to you, it's not because he's trying to punish you. He's trying to refine you, and it works out for His glory because we love God. Remember, He's not going to leave us in our own transgressions. My friends, I have to stop there, but I invite you to come down. Our service is at 10.30 on Sunday morning, so after this broadcast, you have time to actually make it on down here to church. And come hear the rest of this message. Come and be a part. Hear more detail. Be blessed and encouraged. Once again, we're at 1320 West Nolana Avenue in McAllen, Texas. You can go to our website, ChristCovenantMcAllen.org, or you can go to us on Facebook. And you can follow us there. We have our sermons streaming live on Sundays. And... Listen to those. You can watch those. You can share those. You can comment on them. If you're blessed by them, comment on them. Let us know. Come and reach out to us. We'd love to extend a hand of fellowship with you. And if you've been blessed by this ministry, I would ask that you would consider 
making a donation. You can do that on Facebook. You can also do that on our website, or you can mail us a check to uh, 1320 West Nolana. Everything that comes in goes back out in ministry. But we thank you for listening. Would you just know that we're praying for you? May God bless you. May he keep you. May you be encouraged in all things through Christ Jesus. And hopefully we'll see you soon. Be blessed.